Hello, welcome back to another episode of Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer, songwriter, and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. So, if you're listening to this the week that it's coming out, you might have noticed that this episode, number six, has been released on the same Wednesday as episode five, which is the one I did with Thromes. And there's an explanation for that, so hear me out. Talking about the passion as of March 15th, 2017, has about four weeks left to get placed into the new and noteworthy section of music podcasts on iTunes. If it does, that gets it exposed to a lot more podcast listeners and to a lot more music fans in the big online world that's out there. I'd love for more people to hear the music of these artists that I talk to. And one thing that affects whether or not Talking About the Passion gets into new and noteworthy is how many iTunes downloads the podcast gets. And the more episodes I have available, the more downloading will be done. So if I can pull it off, I'm planning to release two episodes each Wednesday until mid-April, at which point I'll probably be exhausted. But making this podcast is a lot of fun, too, so... Even if it stays pretty obscure for a while and I don't get on new and noteworthy, I do intend to keep it going, and I look forward to meeting many more interesting artists in the future. So that's my spiel. Um, on that note, if you do like this podcast and you haven't done so already, definitely subscribe to it on iTunes, and uh, check out the other episodes there if you haven't heard them already. And if you're feeling especially generous, leaving a rating and a review is also enormously helpful. Anyway, thanks for bearing with me through that selfish aside, and uh, let's get on with the show, shall we? My guest for episode number six is Elijah Devon. He is the singer-songwriter behind Tobias the Owl, a collaborative group of musicians based around his songwriting. His new album, Every Eye is a Universe, came out about six months ago and is quickly getting a lot of acclaim. It's one of the most listened to independent albums of the year from Seattle with over 300,000 streams and downloads. It's been featured in numerous music magazines, and three tracks from the album have actually gotten into the official music playlist for Starbucks cafes around the world. So we're gonna talk about all that stuff in a minute, but first you're gonna hear the opening track from that album, a song called The Wind and the Echo. Stick around till after the interview to hear a couple more of their songs, but first here's The Wind and the Echo. Hey, 
you been playing gigs in Seattle? Uh, two and a half, three years now. It's, yeah, I think it's been, I think our first gig was probably three years ago. Had you been living in Seattle a while before that? Uh, well, no, but I came up to Seattle intermittently a lot. So I was, um, I was up here at Cancer Care. So I was visiting a lot and I was doing sort of academic and research and teaching stuff and just kind of hanging out and getting to know this, the scene a little bit. I went to a lot of shows. Um, without really playing any of them, so yeah. But uh, so I had visited enough, and then uh, UW basically said, you know, stay here as permanent faculty. So I, I kind of found a permanent position. So you're a professor. Yes. And what do you teach? Well, so I teach a lot of things. It's mostly medical anatomy, physiology, medical physics. My favorite aspect of it is, is medical physics and MRI sequence optimization and like MRI physics. Wow. I have no understanding of that stuff, but it, it does sound like uh, a very involved field. It's uh, it's involved, but it's um, it's kind of interesting because it's, we may be the first species in the history of the universe that's been able to dissect, you know, virtually a living, breathing, physiologic human body and look at our tissues in almost like a level of biochemical and you know molecular detail that we that we've been able to do. So I think it may be the first time that a species has had 
a glimpse into its own anatomy and physiology in um, as elegant a way as, as we're able to do with MRI. It's a neat field. I think it's very, like, magical and really religious to, like, look at a living, breathing person while they're alive and, you know, do, like, these virtual dissections into different planes and, like, through imaging, yeah. not through any yeah, yeah. vivisection or anything. I mean, the field must be changing all the time, too. Like, the technology for it is, is always improving. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at what we were able to do two decades ago versus what we're able to do now, you know, we can image, like, brain function and, like, physiologic oxygen concentrations and look at, like, metabolites in different ways. It's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing field. I always felt like looking at the human body in that degree of elegance was sort of a way of understanding more about what our purpose is in the universe. So, um, Tobias the Owl. What is behind the name Tobias the Owl? Are you Tobias? Um, I'm not. No, the band's name is Tobias the Owl. And so the band started as a duo in L.A. with uh, me and Scott Seaver. And um, he is, uh, he's a drummer, percussionist, and producer, and he's really, really talented. But then I moved up here, and so, and he's a really busy guy. He's producing Amy Mann's next album right oh, now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he plays with, like, Flight of the Con... He played on the Flight of the Concords album. Okay. Yeah, and he plays with Tenacious D. So anyways, so that's when I kind of came up with the name Tobias the Allen. It was kind of a duo. And then when I moved up here, um, you know, he's really busy, and he was just like, oh, just keep being Tobias the Allen. So then it was a little weird because then I was kind of by myself saying I'm Tobias the Owl. Yeah. And people were like, wait, you're not an owl? How are you? And your name's not Tobias. And my name's not Tobias, but um, it's nice to have a pseudonym too, I guess. So. Is, so is that like, is it a character that you guys came up with? or? Um, It was really more the band name, but it's kind of evolved into um, a name of like the singer-songwriter thing that we're doing. And also at the same time, like the band name and kind of the collective that's formed around it. Like, I feel like w people are like, how many people are in your band? And I'm always like, it's like 20 people because, you know, there's people. It's always who fluctuating. Like, it fluctuates and people come in and out and they, they come back after a long time. And, you know, we rotate people in and out a lot. And we have a lot of special guests and a lot of relationships with, you know, people that we're, we're fans of in the musical community, people who we think are just great artists. So it's become sort of like, it's a singer-songwriter, and it's a band. And I think in a larger sense, it's kind of a musical community. Do you know the band, the Polyphonic Spree? Oh, yeah, 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 so sure, yeah. I mean, maybe they have like 40 members, but maybe yeah. it's the same kind of idea where it's like a community, not just yeah. a, a band. Yeah, and there was, um, there was this band in uh, Orange County named Instagon, and they had um, a different lineup with every single show that they played. And we're not, we're not quite that crazy, but... Um, but we definitely have like a lot of people that, um, you know, usually we're like, when we play, we're like a four piece, but it's, it's a four piece of like members that are changing up. And, you know, if we see somebody in the audience who's there for our show, who's a musician who knows the songs, we'll frequently like invite people up to oh, like, do nice. little guest performances. Yeah. So it's very spontaneous. Yeah. 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 And, um, we had maybe like 12 or 13 people on the album too. So it was it was nice to have that kind of. I felt like each song we kind of highlighted a different artist in the community that we really liked too at the same time. Huh? Yeah, that. I mean, I heard some tracks from the recent album. Yeah. Every Eye Is a Universe, and uh, the arrangement is just so 
it's like it's complex without being too muddy or chaotic either but there there's just so many different parts oh thanks uh, and yeah. it's such a big sound so i i can only imagine you had a lot of different musicians come together for it um a lot of the instruments are really just me actually it was it was like so just lots of overdubs then well let me see tim van buren get, did some guitar work and he was he's a really wonderful really great guy too and then we had a lot of guest vocalists and then andrew jocelyn did a lot of the violin work so that was neat too and then we had some other I think we had one or two other guest string players. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of strings yeah, in the yeah. songs that I checked out. Yeah. It's such a orchestral sound sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we wanted to make something that was, you know, kind of the theme of the album is sort of perspectives within the universe and the way each of our perspectives are sort of a different manifestation of like, a broad waveform of probability collapsing in our own lives and in, in our own perceptions and minds. So we wanted an album that sort of similarly resonated the theme of highlighting different perspectives and different like viewpoints and different voices. So we wanted sort of to sort of integrate different voices into the album in a way that was still, you know, harmonious. It's a very big picture album. It is, yeah, yeah. It was. And it's also, it feels very humble, like it's the sound of somebody just observing the massive scale of the universe and their own kind of relation to it or something. Yeah, we do, we do do a lot of songs that have that as a theme that what is the role of humans in the universe, given that the scope of the universe is so much beyond anything that we could ever experience. Like, um, one of the songs, Murmurs, is kind of about how on a cosmological timescale, yeah. the moment of our birth and the moment of our death are really indistinguishable. And to some people, that's sort of a depressing thing to think about. I think to me, it kind of is a reminder that, um, you know, that the human experience is beautiful as it is ephemeral. So um, where did you grow up? Uh, well, uh, born in Morocco. Uh, mostly I grew up in Toronto. Grew up in Toronto? Yeah, mostly. And then I lived in about um, 20 or 30 different cities. I've lived in a lot of places. In North America in general? Uh, mostly North America, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, mostly North America. How long you been in the States? Um, 14. I was like 14 or 13 when I got here. So do you have uh, dual citizenship? Yeah, yeah. I just became a U.S. citizen on the 4th of July. It's funny. The last guy I talked to in here was also, uh, like, he grew up in Montreal, and he's living here now, and he has dual citizenship. Oh, who's that? Uh, his name's Sam Trowbridge. He plays trumpet. Oh, cool, cool. He plays in a ska band called It Gets Worse. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. You, yeah, you met him? him? Yeah, I don't know him personally, but I know the band. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Because yeah. I think his dad was American, so he, he has the option of Canada or America, which seems pretty cool. Yeah, this was the first election that I voted in. <laughs> Congratulations. So, yeah, it was not it was not what I hoped for, but Washington pulled through at least. Washington did a good job. We played a bunch of um, benefit concerts for Bernie Sanders, mm. and so um, we, <laughs> a lot of our fans were like, "Are you going to play more political shows?" Like, and like one of our fans was like, "Oh, you should play Trump's inauguration." <laughs> <laughs> he really, he really didn't have I think have they anyone. would have taken anybody by the end. They, of yeah, they would have taken anybody. We wouldn't have done it, but um, yeah. But we, we, we did get politically involved, and we've, we've done shows for like women of color speak out, and we did like Bernie Sanders shows, and um, I, I'd actually like to to continue like our mission of 
you know, musical, political activism. Um, what was your entry into playing music? How did you get started? Oh, that's a really good question. Because um, that's sort of a convoluted story also. Um, I, um, so I always had songs in my head growing up. I never really had the chance to play music because I just never, you know, we were moving around so much. And then I moved out when I was like 15 or 16. And then my life was constantly work. Like I was working 80 hours a week doing like minimum wage jobs. Yeah, so I never really had the chance to. And I was living, frankly, a very a very transient a very transient life, which was kind of austere and it kind of took its toll on me, I think, in some ways. Must be exhausting. Yeah, yeah. So it really wasn't until like... I was like 19 or 20 that I was able to like stay in a, a stable living environment stay, where I just stay in one place for a while. Yeah. Or even just having a roof over my head. So, oh. um, I was, so it's kind of a dark story, oh. I guess, but you know, well, if you're comfortable talking about it, I'm, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a part of, it's become so much a part of me and it's, I feel like it's a part of the music in some ways. So, but, um, yeah, so then, so it wasn't really until I was in my twenties that I started to write songs. And then once I started writing, we made about 10 albums, and I never released anything. And so our first release was, was the EP, Painting Zeroes by oh, Name. Yeah, that was just like a couple of years ago, That was right? just a couple of years ago, yeah. So we made 10 albums, and we released like the 11th, you know? So it was, we wrote a lot of stuff, and we recorded a lot of stuff before we released anything. So what kind of pushed you to finally get it out there and have people hear it? Um, so I, uh, kind of one of my first shows or maybe my, even my first show was with this guy named Jonah Tolchin and I was going to get, I'm, I'm okay by the way, health wise, but I was going to get chemotherapy like the next week oh. right after the show. So it was kind of like a sort of a bucket list thing that I wanted to like play my songs in front of people. Right, right. Um, so anyways, uh, I w and I, this was very early on, so I would say I didn't really, I wasn't really that skilled necessarily. But Jonah really liked the music, and he was like, I want to start covering the songs. And so he put one of our songs on his album, and it turned out to be one of the highlights of his album. There were a lot of people who really loved it. So his producer called me and uh, was like, you know, we really love your song, and, uh, you know, you should send me some more stuff. And that's really how my how the Painting Zeroes By Your Name started. And by the time Jonah got signed to a major record label, I had sort of convalesced, so I I was I had healed and I was doing better, and I felt like we had all this sort of positive momentum behind doing more stuff because yeah, yeah. so many people had heard the song that Jonah covered. But yeah, I don't know if it weren't for Jonah, I don't even know that we we would have released anything. He's really been a huge, huge part of the um, incipient momentum that we had. Do you uh, you look back on all the songs you made before that first EP and uh, just they don't really mean much to you anymore, or do you eventually plan on like re-recording them, or is that it? It's in the past for you, or do you think uh, you'd get some of those songs out in the future? Maybe someday. I feel like I have so many new songs. Right. That, um, yeah. Yeah. I, and a I lot of that. the old albums were like very, very thematic. Like one of them was like a hip hop album. Like I rapped on it. Oh. Wow, so you tried a bunch of different stuff. We, we did a lot of different stuff. It was it was a very jokey album. It was not. <laughs> okay. It was not like you're having fun. Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, we had a rapper alter ego too, which was T Griff, the greatest rapper in forever. T Griff. T Griff. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I I I doubt that anyone is ever going to hear that stuff. We we made a little cassette. And we gave it to some friends, but I think no one's going to hear that stuff again. I, I doubt. 
Maybe sure, someday. I'm sure you already have a bunch of new songs written out for the next album. <laughs> we do, actually. We've, we've got about 30, uh, 30 or 40 that we're working through that we've recorded so far. Wow. So, yeah, just like scratch recordings, but, you know. Wow. So when it comes to uh, deciding tracks for the album, you got a lot to, to choose from. Yeah. You get the cream of the crop. We usually start with about 100, you know, riffs or sort of song ideas, and then we finish about... 30 or 40 songs that like kind of coalesce into really full songs that you could really play from start start to finish. And then we, like the the full album was Every Eye is a Universe and that was eight songs. And we really wanted to, you know, we really want to pick songs that are really, really resonant with people and all sort of cohere with a certain theme. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like every song of yours really has a message to it. Yeah, I... um. I, I try to do that. I think, like, when I started deciding, when I came to the decision that I wanted to put out albums that would be widely listened to, you know, or at least that that would be my intention, um, I think the goal was what, there's so many people writing songs, what am I going to say that's different than what yeah. everyone else is doing? Um, and how how is my, so I feel like if I don't have a message, if I don't have a voice, that it's not really that valuable. If you don't have something that makes you unique. Yeah, yeah. And that's not true. I mean, there's plenty of people who like write breakup songs. and um, That's my fridge. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, like there's a lot of people who write the same breakup songs or, you know, songs about like love and, and emotions that are really widely expressed. And I still think those are valuable messages. It's just that for me, I, I wanted to do something that was like really a message that, you know, what, you know, I, I really want to do something that are messages that people don't think about that often. Hmm. Kind of give people a different perspective on, on their lives. Yeah, and, and hopefully a different perspective on, on the universe, if I can. It's kind of a lofty goal. but. What are uh, some of your biggest musical influences? I imagine you have a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we when I sit down and write a song, it, it kind of comes out in different ways depending on what the song is. But I would say, like, we have a lot of songs that are about very different things that are not really even motivated by music or not really emulating any specific artist. Like, um, we have a song called Brought Us to Kimbo on our album. Oh, it's like yeah, I like the, that one. I heard that on SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you have a video for it too, right? We, yeah, we did, a, we did a music video for it, which was neat because I, I wrote the sort of narrative story behind the video, and then we got together with um, Jason Ferris of Frankly Cinematics who like kind of made the video of it. Um, but anyways, that song, Brought Us to Kimbo, is an anagram for Mr. Babadook, which is the titular villain of the movie Babadook. Yeah, that movie creeped me out. Oh, really? You saw it? Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's on Netflix. That song is about the movie. So people are like, well, what, what, what are your influences musically? And I'm like, you know, I often think, really, I have influences that are like, and I think all, all musicians really do, but, you know, there's other things like cinema really inspires me in works of art and sometimes lectures. Like we did a song about a lecture um, that Leonard Susskind gave, and he's a physicist at Stanford. Wow, so it just comes from a lot of different places that a person wouldn't really think that uh, an inspiration for a song comes from. Yeah, and we try to really sort of broaden our our input filters when we're writing to to try and include ideas that maybe aren't aren't necessarily just musical. Do you have any uh, favorite musical artists, people that are kind of your heroes? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of local people lately. Um, Gabriel Wolfchild's album, it's 
really, really fantastic. He's a friend of mine. I actually got him his first gig. He's a he was on The Voice, and he's we we've been friends for a while. So I've been listening to his album a lot lately. It's it's fantastic. Um, and then let me see. Um, I spent a lot of time with Tecla Waterfield's album. She sings on our album, actually. And huh. So, yeah, her album's really great. Yeah, I listened to a lot of... Uh, oh, we did the Black Giraffe album release. And so in the last week, I've been spending a lot of time with their album. I, I've been listening to a lot of local people lately. I haven't, yeah. yeah. You spend a lot more time listening to local artists than you would uh, the Golden Oldies or something like that. You're kind of... Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, the Golden... Yeah. I'm trying to think. Who are the Golden Oldies nowadays? The Beatles or the Beatles. that sort of stuff. Oh, I, I, yeah. My my parents were sort of in my upbringing. My parents, I'll say, were a little austere in their how much music they would let us listen to. Oh, so the Beatles were, were off the list. Yeah, yeah. But I actually, since then, um, a friend of mine has really turned me on to the Beatles. So I'm I'm like a very very new Beatles fan. Like maybe a couple of months. I feel like you would really like uh, George Harrison's solo stuff. Yeah, yeah, I th- sure. I yeah. thought of him a little bit when I listened to uh, some of your songs. It's because he does the very lush orchestral sound, and a lot of his songs are about spirituality. And I don't know, it might be something you uh, relate to. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I mean, he was the quiet one. He was, uh, you know, but he had a lot to say. Yeah, I think you know, we we actually really do try and write songs that are very um, spiritual. We try and look at like themes that are like both science, like what, what do we know about science that informs our philosophy, that informs our spirituality in ways that haven't been explored by traditional religions. So, but, so there is stuff that's in the songs that's very spiritual, or at least I think has spiritual implications, depending on what direction you want to go with it. So Every Eye is a Universe, uh, when did that come out exactly? Um, exactly six months ago today. Okay. So it's been a little <laughs> while, but um, so far you've gotten like a ton of acclaim from what I'm hearing. I mean, you got three of your songs into the official Starbucks playlist. That was neat. Yeah, that was a really neat experience. Yeah. So how did that, uh, ha- how did that happen? Um, well, that was mostly through um, a guy who's involved with London Tone Music named Jeff, Jeff Hyman, who has, um, who has a relationship with the guy who picks out the 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 songs for the Starbucks playlist. But interestingly, there's like one guy in the corporate headquarters of Starbucks who like picks out all these songs. And he's been to my shows and oh, he's, wow. he's become a fan and he, he got an album. He's like, Oh, he probably lives in Seattle, right? He lives in Seattle. Yeah. And he's, he's a nice guy and he's, he's, you know, he's come to our shows. He, he came to our um, Seattle acoustic festival show. So that's kind of neat. Um, so it was neat to like meet the guy who picks the songs and, for painting zeros by your name, we had one song on the Starbucks official playlist. Oh, okay. So, and so it wasn't the, your first time. So it wasn't our first time, but for this one, we had three, and it, they were definitely in much higher ro- rotation. So, like for instance, this is a true story. Actually, we are doing a video right now for our song "Murmurs," mm. which has been played on Spotify over a hundred thousand times. Yeah, I was also going to ask, how did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> how did you get to that point? Oh, I don't know. You know, I, that's a that's a. Kind of a tough question, I guess. No, I, I don't. Yeah, I actually don't know. I mean, that song has become very, very popular. And I'm not sure why people latched on to that song so specifically, but it's certainly really flattering. But when we, um, we're making a video for that song right now, actually. And when I went into Starbucks to, to talk to the director of the mu- music video, I walked in and that song started playing like as soon as we sat down together to talk. So it was kind of a neat thing to like, 
say, oh, we're planning the video for this song, and then here it is, and it plays at <laughs> Starbucks while we're sitting there. So that awesome. was a surreal experience, yeah. Yeah, I'm always kind of surprised by how tasteful the, the music is in Starbucks. Like, and I, uh, I used to live in Japan for a few years, and uh, they have tons of Starbucks over there. I think maybe the playlists are the same over there, though, that they are here, because I'd always hear, like, this cool sort of indie pop artist. Yeah. It's just so different from what most of the other cafes play, at least, like, the franchises. It's kind of interesting how they've always had their finger on uh, the cool artists of tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, and our song is played internationally at Starbucks stores. Oh, so maybe I'd hear yeah. it in Japan. Uh, yeah, and we get so we get emails from like people in Brazil and Germany who's like who are like, oh, I heard your song at Starbucks and I love the album. It's oh, that's so that's so cool. kind of neat. So, you know, it's um, you know, corporate involvement with music is always sort of a sort of a touchy thing, but mm-hmm. to their credit, they do put a lot of um, very very careful thought and consideration into picking songs, and. You know, like I got a report from Shazam. Yeah. You know, and our song, that song Murmurs has been yeah. Shazammed like thousands of times, oh like 5,000 times by people. And I imagine it's because they're sitting in Starbucks listening. Yeah, to they're it. like, hey, where can I find this for later? Yeah. Get this on my Spotify. Yeah. yeah, and then like a bunch of people have sort of been really big, like I would say Spotify proponents. So like um, Kimberly Clemens, I've, I've never even met her, but she's got a really great Spotify list and... She's just a fan of ours who, like, spread our music to a few thousand people, I'm awesome. sure, yeah. yeah. So it just kind of snowballed. I mean, it was yeah. just the sort of thing that happens. Yeah, it's and it's it's been it's been very humbling to watch it happen and to come to realize that there's people in London and uh, Berlin and Toronto and, you know, Brazil who are, like, listening to our music right now a lot. That's been a really a really sort of humbling revelation that like these are all people that we don't know that we'll never meet we'll, and we'll get emails sometimes like every once every few weeks that somebody from like another country that's just saying hey I, I love music well do you think Tobias the Owl would ever uh, perform internationally go on any tours or yeah we we played once in China actually and that was really neat so Is that Beijing Shanghai uh, we well we played in Hong Kong oh okay Hong and then Kong. we went over to the water to Shenzhen Wow. So we took a train into Shenzhen and played and then came back. I probably shouldn't say this, but our show in Shenzhen was just a house show. So it was not like legal. Oh, yeah. So you you didn't do the whole thing when you got the visa of like, I'm coming here to. I think that's pretty hard to get in the Chinese government. Yeah. In fact, our song Murmurs is in the Chinese Starbucks. And there's a whole vetting process that they have for like making sure that there's no political themes or messages in the songs. No, probably no Bjork songs after what she said about Tibet or any (laughs) of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, yeah, Tibet. That's a that's a sad story, and my heart goes out to the the people of Tibet, and you know, who may be losing their Dalai Lama someday after. After six centuries of having a Dalai Lama. Yeah. Did you see the John Oliver interview with the Dalai Lama? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see that. I had heard about it. but Basically, there's someone besides the Dalai Lama, and I forget the, the term they have, but it's the person whose the job it is pa- to find Panchan, the next Dalai Lama. Panchan Lama? Yeah. Panchan Lama, I think. And um, that guy just went missing 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they might not be able to find the next Dalai Lama. Yeah. And it's too bad because the Dalai Lama is like a spirit that's been around for hundred, like I think six or seven hundred years. So to lose that tradition is really, 
It's, it's to a have lot. this spirit who's leapfrogging through time. Yeah. Well, on a different subject, um, the recording process for this album, I mean, that must have been very time-consuming, right? Like I was saying, there's so many different parts of the song, and it's very well produced, lots of different effects. And I mean, what's that, uh, what's that process like for you? How involved do you get? Um, well, I, I mean, really, we, we did a few overdubs in the studio, but it was really almost me at home in my closet. Really? Yeah, so it's, and my closet is, we're not, not in a very, very big room, but it's, it's maybe a, one half to two thirds the size of this room that we're in right and now. And this is a very small room for those yeah. of you listening. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean like from the wall here to this. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's, it's a small space. But anyways, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm a, a bit of a mad scientist when I'm, when I'm doing it. So it's like I'll experiment a lot and use a lot of different tones. Yeah. And then I look at the waveform a lot and I'll try and say like, what does this waveform look like and what can I do to complement it? Like if the guitar waveform is there, I'll think like, what waveforms would look nice with this? <laughs> well, I never heard of that before. That's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I, I, I think of it as like um, alchemy in some ways or like, you know, chemistry or like just mad science. You're cooking something up. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, kudos for making it sound like you recorded in a, a giant studio space. Well, we did some overdubs, and London Bridge Studio was really, really good. Oh, so yeah, they, yeah. I was, I was they did good. actually do a lot of stuff that was really... And they and uh, Jeff Ott mixed it and master, and uh, He didn't master it, but he didn't mix it. But okay, he did so a, you got the pro pro guys going yeah, in there so for the mixing we, and, and he stuff. Yeah, he came over it with a... You know, and he remixed it, and we... You know, everything, I think, sat well together. I think it could have been a very chaotic, busy, noisy, muddy album. But yeah, it was a it was an interest. It's it's definitely a process that we really kind of delved into, and I really think that I poured a lot of myself into this album in a way that I had never done with any of the previous albums. I think there was a lot of my my spirit in this album. You put a lot of yourself into it. Yeah, it's like when Sauron made the ring. It's the same. It's the same process, but but not as corrupting of. Right, it's not a Horcrux or something. Yes, I I don't think so. Yeah, I guess in a way it is. It is kind of a Horcrux, right? Because you achieve <laughs> so immortality. So you put part of your soul into it. Yeah, yeah, right. Because then and now the music has a life of its own that's lived beyond me. There's um there's a really great singer in Canada who's covering what the the song Murmurs. So it'll be on her album. So that's oh, kind of exciting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And Jonah Tolchin actually covered a song off this album, which was White Wine, um, Paint My Love, which um, uh, Andrew Jocelyn plays violin on. So that song has gained a life of its own. I, I was down in L.A. and I heard it on KCRW, and so that was neat. So it's um, so I think the in a way it is kind of a horcrux, right? It's like part of me is out there. And it's a so fragment of my you're soul. telling me you can't die unless I stab a basilisk fang through your, your CD? Through the CD, yeah, yeah. So between songwriting, recording, and performing, do you have a favorite? Hmm. I don't know. There's, there's um, sometimes each of them can be arduous and can be a lot of work and require a lot of effort when you feel like you just want it to come more easily. I think all three of those are things that yeah, sometimes they can be easy and sometimes they can be a lot of work. But they're all sort of equally rewarding and enri enriching. Is one in particular hardest for you? 
the most demanding? Um, in a way, performing is um, is spiritually and emotionally the most draining. I used to, I have sort of a, I've had a lot of sort of deep vicissitudes of self-confidence. And that's kind of why it took me so long to put out music in the first place. And so I used to throw up before all my performances. And now I take... You got really bad stage fright, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think putting yourself out there in a, in a, in a live way, you kind of, it's a, there's, there's a journey there to that alone by itself that is, is a little hard to embark on. Um, you mentioned you did shows at those political rallies. Yeah. That sort yeah. of thing. Um, is there any show in particular that stands out as the most rewarding to you or you have a favorite gig that you've done? Let me see, favorite gig. Well, there's politically, there's, there've been really neat gigs that we've done. The, the Bernie Sanders show that we did at the Tractor was a sold-out show. Um, we played with Kimia Dawson, who's one of my heroes, so that was really neat. And um, Kashama Sawant, um, who's like a really inspirational. She's a, a city council member. Oh, yeah. very cool. And so she gave a speech. And then there was like, there was like a lot of hip-hop, and there were, there were other really great performers and other really great speakers there. So it was kind of a neat show, but it was also it also felt like it was a very diverse experience of a lot of different genres and a lot of different artistic and political forms of expression. Hmm. Oh, another uh, question I had. So how do you balance uh, being so active in music with being a professor? How does, that must be kind of a struggle sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't sleep much, and there's, there's days that are, that are long. Um, I mean, I, I think they kind of complement each other. Being a professor is sort of a journey into, into the universe in a, in a way that's a little more scientific. And then sort of with the music, I kind of look at the scientific things that I get exposed to, and I try to translate those into philosophical and spiritual meaning. Um, so I feel like if I were not a musician, I would want to find, if I, were, if I were just pursuing music exclusively, I would want to find a way where I could be um, as equal a participant in scientific discovery. I do clinical and academic research, and yeah. so I'm, I'm technically, I guess, sort of a scientist, but I really consider myself more of a science enthusiast. Like, I love reading papers. I love going to lectures. Hmm. That's interesting. A guy I interviewed before, the person from Montreal, he was talking about how he's still really interested in NASA and, uh, I don't know if it was rocket science, but, like, um, I mean, he was a younger guy still in college, but, like, he decided only recently that he wasn't going to go into the that sort of tech world, but he still keeps up, I guess, uh, looking at research and all that. That's kind oh, of neat. interesting. Yeah. Astrophysics is incredible. I have I have a friend from from college who has a comet named after him, so that's kind of neat. Wow! So it's great that you can think of these two uh, parts of your life as being connected. It's not just a total. Yeah, I think everything everything is connected, you know. And I like to think that I bring the same positivity to my medical and clinical and academic stuff that I do to to music, or I, I try to. You know, I think I think sometimes in in our upbringing and just in our academic indoctrination, we get told that these are sort of different fields that should be compartmentalized. Yeah. And in some ways we create false walls and false dichotomies through between our, um, you know, um, our, our creative outlets and our, our scientific minds. 
And so people are always like, wow, you use both sides of your brain. And I was like, well, it's still one brain, you know? Yeah, that left think, side, right side of the brain stuff, that sounds kind of silly to me at this point. Yeah, and there's always like, it becomes that way because we get indoctrinated with that idea. But if we didn't, if we never, if we were never told that art and music were totally different parts of your brain and science, I think we wouldn't take that lesson as seriously, which I think we shouldn't. Yeah, there should be more of a holistic approach with uh, education, for example, in that way. Yeah, and I think that's that's like, not to get too political, but I think that's the problem with politics is that, you know, we think of science as separate from politics, right? And we think of intellect as separate from political, you know, pursuits. And that's not something we should do. If we, if we like, became more academic in our, and, and more intellectually enriched in our perspective on politics, I think... It's possible we could have less problems. We might still have the same problems, but I think we could, we'd be better off, I personally think. I mean, I'm pretty ignorant on a lot of that stuff, but it seems to me one of the biggest problems is anybody who makes policy also has to look and act a certain way that has nothing to do with making good decisions. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're, we have politicians who are making policy about things that, are, that should really be guided more by science. And not to say that scientific pursuits aren't political, right? There's there's a whole set of politics to the scientific community, but but at least um, we should we should recognize that there's politics and science, and there should be more science and politics. And I'm kind of curious to get your perspective on the Seattle music scene, mm-hmm. as a person um, who's involved with it, and as a person who's a musician, and as a person who's kind of a newcomer outside. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Seattle music scene. I think the big thing is that it's gotten a really good reputation over the last however many years. And a lot of people my age, you know, who've just graduated college and are interested in pursuing music, but they're not about to move to like LA or New York or whatever, uh, they kind of gravitate towards here. I mean, Sub Pop and KEXP and uh, it's just a really accommodating place for young creative people, or at least it has been. I mean, in another few years, we'll all be priced out of here. But in the meantime... Do you feel like it's a, cl- a bit of a clicky scene? Like there's a lot of clicks? No. I th- Well, I don't really know enough about it to make that call, but I think it's really friendly. Everybody's very supportive. There's not this attitude of like, ah, oh, another songwriter, okay. Like, I went, to, I visited Nashville, and, you know, they don't need any more aspiring young songwriters with an acoustic guitar like i mean maybe that was just my imagination that that was really not welcome at this point but i feel like seattle there's a lot going on besides that you got the tech thing and there's more layers so like being a young musician here there's a lot of great open mics to visit there's a lot of really uh, accommodating venues to check out it's just a really good scene to be in right now i think I think it's interesting that the musical community around the world is sort of evolving, right? Our musical tastes and our ways of acquiring music are evolving. And I hope and I think and I predict that the next step of our evolution will be that music will become more regional and more local so that people will, musicians will no longer be like national celebrities, but they'll be locally supported. Yeah, or I mean the notion of like a a niche, I think that's only going to get stronger you know, you're not targeting a general audience. You're targeting people who you know like a certain kind of music, and that's all the audience that you need. That's the only people that you really need to think about. Yeah, it's kind of 
with the internet and the ability to uh, get out and connect with uh, the specific kind of people that um, are going to respond to you, yeah. that's really nice to have. And I mean, this is kind of a half-baked theory, but all these bigger cities getting really expensive and exclusive that might push people to uh, build up their own communities in, uh, yeah, my refrigerator again. It's Places that are a little more underlooked, yeah, might get back to uh, region, smaller regional scenes might uh, be back in style. They might get stronger. I hope that's the case. I think w if that happens, it'll probably start in markets like Seattle or Portland yeah. and then become more sort of, there will be other pockets that become, that have that growth. I mean, Minneapolis or... Great scene for music Minneapolis. Eugene, I've heard good things about Eugene, Oregon or Eugene, like yeah. Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. I'm or, going to Philadelphia next week. Oh, know. wow. Just to visit or... No, I'm giving a lecture and hanging out with some folks. Oh, so, yeah. very nice. Yeah, so Seattle feels like a really good place for me to be right now. I can do this podcast. I mean, there's no shortage of talented, interesting musicians doing their thing here. And um, yeah, it feels like a very good place to be right now. Um, anyway, thanks very much for coming up here today. I really enjoyed talking. Sure, it's been it's been great to be here. Um, and um, I hope people will check out the music. Uh, the album's called Every Eye is a Universe, and you can hear it pretty much everywhere. And uh, it's, it's resonated with a lot of people, so I hope more people will continue to find it and get to know the music and welcome it into their hearts and minds. Yeah. Okay, that was a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed that as well. So if you are a listener of Talking About the Passion who's already done a bunch of stuff for this podcast that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you, and I really appreciate you continuing to listen to the show. If anyone has any suggestions, questions, or comments for me about the podcast, or if you would like to inquire about getting featured on the podcast, you can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, I've been considering coming up with a catchphrase, either for the beginning or end of this show, so if y'all come up with any ideas, be sure to send those along as well. You're now going to hear two more Tobias the Owl songs. The first is Pretty, and after that is Murmurs. I hope you like them, and I'll catch you later.
And I'm not so pretty Though it seems so easy To pretend that I am you Don't turn away, hold on to me 
in your fall So please don't turn away Hold on to me Cause I'm already alive in your phone in your thoughts